The more you learn, the more you realise there is still to learn. This is Sparking Connections, a podcast where two education enthusiasts teach each other about their respective fields of study. My name is Kimberly Wardle, and I have a degree in microbiology from the University of Surrey. And my name is Esme Beaumont, and I'm currently studying for an MPhil in English Studies at the University of Cambridge. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the new episode of Sparking Connections. It is science today. I guess we can just get straight into it, unless there's any other announcements that need to be made. Nope. Get straight into it, I say. All right. So today we're talking about the truth behind GMOs. How dramatic. Not really. So do you know what a GMO is, first and foremost? Genetically modified organism i yes. assume organism i was worried you were gonna just stop then <laughs> but yes <laughs> genetically modified organism and obviously again another controversial topic Ooh. love those i do you know controversy is where i'm at all the time you're just argumentative <laughs> i mean if you're good at it why stop <laughs> <laughs> so to start off with what is a GMO? So we say genetically modified organism. So organism, easy, living thing. Um, and that can be any living thing from the little tiny bacteria phage all the way up to the most giant dinosaur. Yes, dinosaurs. So it's organisms what that you mix their genes kind of so we, we are clear on what genes are they're the code that makes up our everything they're the instruction manual for the things that create everything that we are genes can be for your hair color your eye color how tall you are and genes can also be for things like how resistant to antibiotics bacteria are or how well, you grow in a certain soil type because obviously we all grow in different soil types. So it's basically the very root of what makes you, you and what makes any other organism an organism. So usually GMOs are something that are generated in the lab because you can't typically insert a gene into something without a lab. And that's the key thing about GMOs is that you need to insert a gene from something completely different to what the original organism is. So say you're trying to insert a plant gene into a bacteria. I don't know why you would. <laughs> It'd typically be the other way around. But for argument's sake, we're trying to put a plant gene into a bacteria. You're not going to be able to just put those two things next to each other and go, <laughs> make a thing. So it has to be done in a lab, usually with uh, along the lines of transgenics. Again, trans genes, kind of self-explanatory. And you actually see this naturally happening between, I guess, hmm, I'll, I'll put this to you. I'll explain what crossbreeding is, and then I'll explain what bacteria do. And we can have a discussion about whether it's the same thing or not. So crossbreeding is when you have, for example, a plant, dun, 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 and it makes lovely grapes i hate grapes but it makes lovely grapes and then you have another plant that makes different flavored grapes and you found out that when you mix those two flavors together 
they taste like cotton candy. So you breed those two plants and they make cotton candy grapes. Because they're both plants of the same species, it's crossbreeding, not genetic modification. But technically is genetic modification. Me and Chi have talked about this a lot because <laughs> I think it's genetic modification because you are pressuring the genes to be altered, but it can be done naturally, quote unquote. So swapping of genes between two of the same species or yeah, I'd say two of the same species because typically you can't make fruiting um, or the plants would be infertile if they were not species, the same species. You know, you can't breed like a fertile, you can't breed, um, have a fertile organism from like a horse and a donkey, for example. It makes, is that a mule? But the mule is infertile. I think so, yeah. Something like that. So basically... What, what defines a species as a species is that you can make fertile offspring when breeding the two together. So, crossbreeding. Got that in your mind? Mm-hmm. GMO, got that in your mind? So, bacteria do this natural process called conjugation, where they form... So, you know what bacteria looks like? I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give a brief everyone a brief description. It's got a cell wall and insides and various little what would you call them, structures on the outside? Little bits that jut out. Basically, it makes them aware of their surroundings. And what can happen is a bacteria can be aware of its neighbouring bacteria and form a little pili. A little tube will start to project from its outside and it will go over to the neighbouring bacteria and fuse with that bacteria. And Mm -hmm. genetic information inside the bacteria, obviously it's not a nucleus because bacteria do not have nuclei. They have uh, either circular DNA or strands of DNA and that's replicated and then sent along the tube to the neighbouring bacteria. And that's typically done with bacteria that have antibiotic resistance genes because they're like, if I pass on this resistance gene, more of my kin will be able to survive. So conjugation, moving of a gene from one species to another i put it under gmo but it's not if it's the same species but bacteria can conjugate with bacteria not of their same species what would you say that is it's not crossbreeding necessarily it's not gmo like transgenics necessarily but it is still a form of transgenics and i wondered what your thought was on that i mean i don't know about i Technical terms, haven't a clue, but Mm. genetically modified organism. Mm -hmm. You are modifying the genetics. Mm -hmm. Surely that could apply to anything, regardless of whether it's people doing it in a lab or a natural process. Right, that's where my head would be at. There's a difference between genetically modified and like artificially genetically modified, if we want to be more specific. But this is bacteria modifying their own genetics which is yes. odd i did not know that that was a thing that could happen i mean yeah they just share genes that could be useful to others it's kind of not necessarily crossbreeding because they're not making a new organism but it's also not i think that it's all the same thing but a lot of because <laughs> then i get annoyed when people are like gmo is so wrong and i'm like you're also eating grapes that taste like mangoes what are you doing 
like <laughs> that is technically genetic modification so we've had forms of genetic modification for ever almost um in history one of the first things to be genetically modified quote unquote are domestic dogs mm -hmm. you know you breed two dogs together and you get a shih tzu wow dogs but before that artificial selection of wolves you would you choose the wolves that are a bit more docile a bit more domestic domesticatable is that a word dogs that you can wolves that you can domesticate more easily than typical wild wolves um and over time we had doggos which is great because we love doggos love doggos and then there's also the things of artificially selected crops. You know, you breed two crops mm. together, you make a better crop. Um, or for manufacturing various medicines, you breed two things together and you extract the, the thing that it, you want it to make. You know, you, there's going to be instances everyone's experienced or heard of crossbreeding and therefore genetic modification. It is so strange to me that we had, that it took until the Victorian era for somebody to put forward the theory of evolution. Mm. Um, considering, or to put forward the theory of natural selection, considering we had had artificial selection for thousands of years. Yes. Like all that Darwin was saying basically was, you know that thing you've been doing with animals where you breed some animals together and you get a different kind of animal it's that but happening naturally slowly like it's it's the same thing right and everyone was like what no i mean i know there's historical stuff but like mm. we were doing it we were doing it when <laughs> you put those two cows together because they're they produce the best milk and were like i want even better milk you knew deep down deep way deep mm. down that you were doing genetic modification you just didn't realize it yet but yeah that's true like how did it take so long to realize when you bred two things together and you produce a thing with a mix of both it wasn't mm. genetics you know but in any case we do it for food we do it for medicines we do it for animals we do it for everything we do it for ourselves no well actually let's talk about that do you think that we do genetic mod modification for ourselves that's when we, eugenics when we breed with each other <laughs> but even so you think you not necessarily you're looking for the best of the most elite but you, <laughs> you're attracted to someone funny right and you want to have children with that person i mean unrelatable content but here we are do you not then hope that your child would inherit characteristics from that person do people think about that consciously? I'm not the best know. person to ask. I don't talk about children. I don't want children. We don't Neither want of us children. Want children. <laughs> <laughs> a question for the, the listeners then. Um, <laughs> when you're looking for a sexual partner to have children with, is that something you think about? Is that something you look for? Like, besides the fact that you want someone funny, do you think that then your child is going to have traits that your partner has? It could well be something that happens uh, subconsciously. Evolution you know, for evolutionary. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is a good point. Yeah, like how people who are tall or people who have like very muscular physiques or people who are very strong or, 
people who look very healthy are all attractive to certain yeah, people. But then it's also culturally determined. Yeah, true, true. So, but either way, we're not, I'm not talking about wiping out a group of people that don't look like you. But that's because, where it goes. Yeah, it's not true. careful with it. That's where... Yeah. genetically modified as soon as you start saying these genetics are good and these ones are bad yeah that turns into nazi shit yeah it does well it tu- yeah it turns into literally any kind of white supremacy any kind of like colonizer behavior in terms of what mm-hmm. the white western aesthetic is yeah yeah so i am very wary of <laughs> genetically <laughs> modifying human beings you can okay. do what you like with plants but humans that's what i was careful. gonna say do you think that um the reason people disagree with genetically modified organisms for food and plants because it is quite some people are very up in arms about it do you think it's mm-hmm. because they have that sort of eugenics mind frame of like this is what could happen or do you think it's something else honestly no because the same some of the same people who were so up in arms against genetically modified food are also the people who want to naturally make the human race better, you know? Right. This in, like, this is, this is a Venn diagram, and you are 100% able to be on one side of the Venn diagram and not mm-hmm. the other. Like, this is not... This Venn diagram is not a circle. Right. But when you're online and you find people talking about one, there's, like... In my experience, at least, there is a reasonable chance that they will also be, at least on some level, interested in the other. It's that sort of, mm. like, ah, oh, yes, evolutionarily, we should be, the, like, it, you know, healthy people should be breeding. And yeah, like, that's sort of like, oh, we're, we're mm. going to naturally get rid of <sighs> Down syndrome or autism or whatever right. they decided to focus on that, that day. And they're the same people who were like, you know, I, I think it's the same, it's that logic that um, unhealthy people are evolutionarily, like, they're just destined to die out and we're keeping yeah. them alive artificially. And it's right. the same mindset that's then, like, well, if the, you know, if these plants are like this naturally, they should stay that way. Like, it's this, it's the nature mm. thing. People are so obsessed with the purity of nature. Mm-hmm. And so they, it kind of goes in opposite directions with people versus plants. Yeah, because you then couldn't say, oh, but it's okay to modify plants to make them better, but you can't modify humans to make them better because that's a bit more dodgy. Um, I would say that the kind of, I feel like we keep talking about this, but the ableist mindset of like sick people shouldn't have children and things like that mm-hmm. is very obvious in this topic too in terms of like breeding out certain things and breeding Mm -hmm. in certain things yeah because Um, that's genetically modifying or at least it's um artificial selection with animals and we do we we can breed out traits with animals and with plants but you can't do that with people (laughs) please don't do that with people but there is i think there is a difference between not wanting children that will experience the same thing as you and mm. breeding breeding out in quotation marks problematic traits and i use that yeah problematic traits is not is how it's viewed by people who think that illness or chronic illness or any kind of genetic um, differences are not good 
which is there's the a case. big difference between deciding for yourself that you don't want to have children because you don't want to pass something on right versus it being decided by an external source yeah or you what know, you're like, like fed to believe or what society sees mm-hmm. as the uh the sort of the best person yeah you have no right to tell somebody else you shouldn't have children because your genetics are bad right exactly exactly so genetic modification then obviously is a very loaded subject and the uk has guidelines on what defines like appropriate genetic modification Uh, So the European Food Safety Authority says that it cannot be an allergen, so it can't cause allergies in people. That's fair. (laughs) You're breeding something new and it's going to become allergenic to people. Probably not worthy of being sold to people because it's, you know, it's got a, a greater health impact. The nutritional value is taken into account. You know, is it actually adding anything to people's diets and people's ways of life? Or is it just, you just modified a crop and now you want to sell it? And also, most importantly, is it toxic? Do you want people to eat it? Because sometimes you can make something and you're like, yeah, I'm going to cross this very yummy corn with this very pest-resistant corn. And you put them together and suddenly... They produce something that when humans eat them, it makes them very ill. So, yeah, you need to make sure that any kind of crossbreeding or GMO, uh, GM reactions are fully tested, fully researched, Mm. and people are fully aware of what is going to, to be the consequence of consuming this item. And then the only other thing is it has to be labelled as GM. I don't think I've ever really taken note of GM on a label. Me neither. Interesting. Uh, but then also we're not very concerned with GM food. No, and no. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna put something back just because it's genetically modified. This can include, so in the UK, this can include foods which are produced with the help of GM technology not being labelled. So if GM technology kind of assisted, I don't know what necessarily these assistants would be, this assistance would be, but you don't have to label it if it's just assisted by GM technology. And you also don't have to label meat, milk or eggs from animals that are fed on genetically modified animal feed. And that's, I think that's quite good because you want to make sure your animals are eating as nutritious food as possible in the most convenient way, right? Yes. But then as soon as you say, you know, we talked about as soon as you say something's genetically modified or consumed genetically modified food, people are like, what? But no, it just makes things more efficient, more mon- cost effective, more suitable for a commercial environment. Yeah. Which is a whole other argument, commercial environments. <laughs> but either way, you will not know if your animal, egg or milk uh, producer will, will have eaten GM animal feed. Because they've deemed it's not necessary for you to know that because you're not going to be impacted by that. You probably eat GM animal fed chicken eggs all the time. It's just... 
the way it goes. And again, you know, are we classing are we classing GM as just lab modified or are we classing it as crossbreeding? Because then like certain crops will be crossbred to be, you know, bulkier, more fruitful, and then fed to animals, you know. What do the guidelines say? Do they say that crossbreeding exactly. is okay yeah it doesn't it doesn't really specify either way it still says you know when things are bred together potentially could be genetically modified but they mostly focus on for the guidelines it's mostly focusing on things coming from outside of the uk right Um, yeah because the uk does do some commercial production of crops and things but not as much as a lot of other countries it's not as much mm. not as much as a, of an impact it's more to do with what we're feeding animals that then you know we, yeah. we eat we're a lot more into like eggs and meat and stuff like that and milk so so i've got a little explanation here for the actual difference between crossbreeding and gmo just to clarify the um the ways in which gmo might be construed so i'm i have a feeling that the guidelines are definitely to do with genetic modification from the lab only okay but crossbreeding could potentially still be under the umbrella of gmo so this is also from the european food safety authority It says the goal of both GM and conventional plant breeding is to produce crops with improved characteristics by changing their genetic makeup. GM achieves this by adding a gene or genes to the genome of a crop plant, sexually compatible plants versus adding DNA from any organism to another kind of organism. So they said, they basically said, what the difference is between the two but they didn't say that one or the other wasn't genetic modification if that makes sense so they Mm -hmm. they note that they're two different things but they didn't necessarily say necessarily say that crossbreeding wasn't genetic modification it says that it basically points out that conventional breeding just takes a longer time and in genetic modification when you have something that's pest resistant and you mix its dna with something that isn't pest resistant and typically you know produces the product that you want it just means that you're ending up with the same result as if you bred them together in Mm -hmm. a more conventional setting again i wouldn't say that gm is much faster because you have to determine what gene you want you have to work out how you're going to put it in how you're going to make sure it goes in without causing damage to the rest of the plant and then whether it has any unintended effects. Um, crossbreeding is a lot more trial and error in terms of you breed two things together, does it work? And then you're like, no. And then you breed two different things together, does it work? No. And then you're like, oh, you breed two things together. But if you breed the two requisites of those things, then that might work. So it's more of a, a physical process, a hands-on yeah. process. Okay, so foods that are considered genetically modified that we may have heard of are soybeans, rice, maize, corn, and papaya. I hadn't realised papaya was considered a genetically modified organism. And I think, I don't know if this will record properly, but we will see. Um, 
But there's also a paper that I will put in the references that has a interesting table about approved commercial products that are genetically modified and then products that are being developed. Mm-hmm. And as you might be able to tell, the things that I've listed, soybean, corn, rice, maize, that kind of stuff, has various things that people want to improve about it to make it better, more easy to grow. There's resistance to herbicides. So basically when you spray herbicides, so um, poisons that kill herbs or weeds, you you want to spray a herbicide that might have been toxic to the original plant, but with this resistance gene to the herbicide, you can spray and it will only kill the weeds. Fair enough. Um, and we'll get on to maybe some of the problems and the benefits of that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Insect resistance is also something that people kind of want. They don't want, again, spraying for pests. You don't really want to have to spray for pests. You want the, the plant to do it itself, it, to protect itself. Yeah. And then there's also various enrichments that you can try and cultivate. So making sort of oils or plants or, or fruits or vegetables more nutritious. Canola oil, the canola that's used to make canola oil um, mm-hmm. is altered so that it has a greater fatty acid composition. So it's, it's more of a, I guess, a better oil because canola is easy to produce. So they want it to be, to be more efficient at producing the oil even though it's already a good source of the oil, if that makes sense. They're just trying to amp it up for commercial use. And then you can also use various plants for the production of vaccines. Mm. So injection of, sounds a bit dodgy, injection of some of these products that we use can lead to um, immune responses. So, for example, tobacco, when injected into mice, causes an immune response, which means that scientists think maybe that it could be used to develop a a vaccine for something. It hasn't specified what vaccine. Presumably it's um, trade secret. But but yeah, there's there's a possibility that the tobacco can be... So I think what it they do is they insert a antigen so a a little bit of reactive material from the virus into the plant and then the plant produces the antigen i assume and then when that plant and then obviously it's not the antigen from the virus so there's no virus involved so all those Mm. people that say that you don't want a live virus in your body or a part of a virus in your body you won't have to you can have a piece of plant injected into your body instead fair enough um and then there's also um salmon there was actually a very interesting case of genetic modification in salmon that i'm going to talk about in a little bit but these salmon are developed to grow faster so that the salmon fishing seasons can occur or the harvesting seasons can occur more regularly so you can breed salmon they'll grow up quicker you can harvest them because they're like bigger and meatier than you know they would be at their natural time in the year Um, Mm -hmm. And that means you can, you know, have more salmon more regularly. And there's an interesting um, discussion related to that, which we can have as well. So 
obviously the reason we're here is to talk about the impact of genetically modified food, animals, anything on population and planet. So obviously the impact on the planet could link to the, uh, the impact on the population, but mm -hmm. you know, we want to mix, see if how those two mix together. So I've got some bullet points written down. I feel like we can just discuss. It's kind of like, do you remember in science when they would be like, and now we're going to do the pros and cons of renewable <laughs> energy. Yeah. This is kind of like that. So I'll have some like points for discussion and we can discuss like who it impacts and whether it's good or bad. So okay. the first bullet point I have is better quality food. What do you think about that? I mean, clearly a good thing mm -hmm. uh, could potentially lead to sort of um, other issues like, you know, to do with selling, um, it, you know, if it, is it going to then end up being more expensive because it's mm. better quality uh, and will it then outcompete the cheaper stuff and, you know, will you end up with food prices going up, all those right. sorts of other issues from it. But in and of itself, if you can make the food, you know, more, more nutritious and I mean, if you can make it taste nicer, sure, great. Mm. All of these sorts of, all these sorts of things sound like a good thing to me. Yeah, spec quality food means that you're able to introduce vitamins and minerals into people's diets that they might not necessarily <laughs> be able to have access to. So right. we so can definitely, yeah, improve people's health, basically. Um, I guess one argument could be that with food that is more enriched and nutritious, people might not realise its implications in terms of like portion control and okay. like, other health benefits in terms of like eating too much or not mm. enough. Maybe you think it's better for you so you wouldn't eat as much of it, but then you're ending up not really nourishing your body enough mm. um or alternatively eating far too much because you because it's slightly that's what you're used to you want to be careful with things like um the way that we talk about specific fruits like blueberries and we say oh they're superfoods and so people just eat like you can't sort of you can't introduce something and say look at my genetically modified super healthy superfood um without being aware that people might then kind of say right cool i'll eat that and nothing else or right, not right. consider not consider like the rest of their diet because they're like well i've got this magic food that's healthy mm -hmm. yeah totally and then obviously there's the risk of you're used to eating a certain portion of food that has you know you know what its nutritional value is and then suddenly you're eating the same portion of food but a high it could be more you know it could have more protein in it it could have more this or more that and that could have other health implications i mean yeah not just unintended weight gain or anything like that but also you know some people's bodies can't handle more protein some people's bodies can't yeah. handle more fats so you know it can maybe be surprising to someone that had once eaten a whole bowl of rice but now they can't because it's got you know there's unintended or not necessarily noticed impacts yeah okay so the next one is more ethical farming of silks and commercial proteins i can't see any downsides with that that mm. sounds like an overall good thing <laughs> yeah definitely so obviously 
um, silk and silkworm harvesting and spider silk harvesting is brutal on the actual mm. animals because I think for silkworms they allow the silkworm to make a cocoon and then they boil them alive. Oh, yeah. oh gross. No, they that just sounds horrible. Co- yeah, they, they like cultivate silkworms and they make sure they're fed and then they form a cocoon and then they just dump them all and boil them and extract the silk. which is quite disgusting actually and Mm. not very ethical one might say (laughs) so maybe producing plants that could produce the silk themselves or Mm. you know a a different a a different method another animal to produce that silk i don't know what (laughs) animal could produce a silk but (laughs) for example some um i think they did try and get animals that produced milk to produce antibiotics in their milk and that they could extract okay um i don't know if that's fact and again i'll have to see if there's a just because someone tried doesn't mean they succeeded yeah (laughs) i wanted to yeah yeah exactly but there was um yeah there was that discussion okay so easier to grow food also in large amounts uh i mean again overall sounds good except um well, if it's easier to grow in large amounts, then there's you, you've got to, there's a lot of other things you're going to have to bear in mind mm. about like there's the temptation to just cut down huge amounts of rainforest so that you can yeah. grow all of this really easy to grow food, mm-hmm. or um, you know have people working harder to produce more and more of it without paying them more because because you're genetically modifying it so it's easier those sorts of issues but again it's like with a better quality food in and of itself it's a good thing but any good thing can be misused by people yeah particularly especially when profits Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah easier to grow means that it's gonna potentially grow more quickly or grow um with less uh input so, you know, you maybe you don't need to water it as much. It's drought resistant. Or maybe you don't need to put it in a specific type of soil so you can plant it anywhere. But like you say, if you can plant something anywhere, that means you can clear out large swathes of land that, you know, people feel like mm-hmm. aren't, aren't contributing anything. But guess and what? if it can go anywhere, then there's mm-hmm. the risk of it becoming an invasive species somewhere. Mm, that actually leads nicely on to my, to my next point. It, mm-hmm. in, how it impacts the natural environment so like you say right. some plants might you know it's herb herbicide resistant how are you going to stop it from growing outside of its borders if you can't yeah. kill it with herbicides so it becomes you know if, if it's flowering and seeding and spreading its seeds those seeds can drift all over the place and if you can't kill it with herbicide then you know it might grow out of control somewhere else Mm. um what kind of impact will that have on the uh, planet on the environment yeah like if you i mean the way that sort of currently in the uk uh like red squirrels were the Mm. uh like native species and gray squirrels I'm not sure how they got here. <laughs> I don't, I don't um, know. Whether that probably was on boats. Or... I think it was on, yeah, probably. Yeah, like rats. But, yeah. So 
you know, now red squirrels are endangered because um, the grey squirrels came and ate all of their food and generally made, mm. you know, basically outcompeted them for resources. Mm-hmm. And I presume the same, it works the same way with plants. Yeah. And so you'd have just far too many of a specific plant that takes up all of the nutrients that other plants need and then mm-hmm. those plants go extinct and you've just you're, you're just messing up the the balance everything's out yes, of balance exactly yeah yeah the balance too in particular ecological balance is so important because it's you know you may be growing crops in a field and they just do their own thing and they can survive mm-hmm. but they might not be suitable for consumption by other animals or other animals might not know that they're consumable um yeah. they you know they might you know we make things pest resistant you know how far do those pests go it's not just insects is it also mammals or small you know small mm. animals that could maybe be impacted by the consumption of these crops and if they're mm. out competing natural plants then what you know then what are these animals going to eat and then they're going to move elsewhere and maybe they're going to infiltrate urban areas or maybe they're going to, you know, it becomes more of like a broader ecological problem. Yeah. The other problem with like, the, the other way it might impact the natural environment is that, cause we were talking about herbicides mm-hmm. and pesticides. If you are, because there's a lot of problems with both of those things with mm-hmm. spraying various chemicals on crops that it's, that has problems for people living nearby Mm. um it has problems food yeah there's all kinds of issues Mm -hmm. and if we are genetically modifying plants in a way that makes the use of those things easier we're getting rid of any incentive to find alternative alternatives to those because there are like people have it's um i don't know i don't know very much about this but apparently there were older methods of farming Mm. that you know planting different types of crops next to each other stuff like that that decreased the likelihood that pests would cause problems for those Mm -hmm. crops for example and we don't do that because it's less efficient Mm -hmm. but then we have to compensate by using pesticides and herbicides right and actually, it would be a lot better if we went back to those older methods or found other methods that don't rely on those chemicals. Mm-hmm. And so if we're genetically modifying plants to make it easier to use those chemicals, we're more likely to keep using them and then they'll keep doing damage to the environment and to people and animals nearby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But then I also think that um, having crops that are resistant to pests and insecticides and um, and like other herbicides and things means that you know if they're if um if a plant is resistant to you can breed plants that are resistant to pests Mm -hmm. so that means you wouldn't need to spray pesticides because then the plants protect themselves yeah that's fair that's as well there's also that impact on the natural environment is that you know the the insects just won't eat those plants and and maybe then you know we're back to the if you cut down large bits of land and replace it with crops that can't be eaten by the natural inhabitants then you're taking away a whole ecological niche so yeah yeah. it's a tool like any other it's got to be used sensibly yeah exactly um and also a lot of people are worried about um crossbreeding with natural plants and and that Mm -hmm. impact you know 
like hybridizing crossbreeding of natural plants and crops which mean that you know then wildflowers would be pest resistant which means that they would grow out of control because there's no pests keeping their natural population down mm. or you know that kind of impact but the paper you might that... not have enough of something like i don't know bees or something that we really mm. really need i mean really yeah. any, every animal and every plant and every like bug is mm-hmm. a part of the ecosystem that is necessary even if we don't yeah. like it so if you're like it sounds really convenient to say that our this this plant is pest resistant but those pests mm-hmm. get rid of the you know they can't eat and they die out then you've got a gap in the system yeah will be filled some other way mm-hmm. and you know in ways that we can't predict yeah definitely you know there's um sort of higher order organisms that will eat mm those insects and and pests exactly yeah but a lot of people are concerned about crossbreeding with natural plants it's actually very low risk so there's not actually a chance of that happening just because it's not like what i said about conjugation with bacteria just because it's a plant doesn't mean that it's gonna crossbreed with Mm. another plant so so yeah the impact of that is actually surprisingly low and as i mentioned before the salmon so Mm. Let's think about the principles of natural selection. If you're bigger, stronger, faster, better equipped, growth, you know, like better equipped to live in your environment, you're going to survive. And you're going to, evolutionarily speaking, particularly in animals, other animals are going to want to breed with you. (laughs) So there was an instance of salmon being enhanced in a way that um, made them grow faster, mature quicker, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Right. And they outcompeted the natural salmon. So mm-hmm. we produced this organism. So it's a bit similar to the squirrel um, sort of story, but we produced this organism, this salmon. And what you do is you keep them in like little nets so they, they don't come out into the natural environment. But as with all things that we do in the name of science, mistakes were made and salmon got out. And they were in the natural environment, doing their thing, out competing the other salmon and getting hedge, getting big and juicy. And we can eat them. I mean, I don't like salmon, but we couldn't eat them because they were swimming around and living in their natural environment and and messing with the ecosystem. And fortunately, not for the salmon, they didn't breed well. They, they're... The issue, um, you would maybe think that's a good thing because then they didn't continue to produce hyper powerful salmon. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. you know, if if it was a natural salmon and a modified salmon and they bred, that natural salmon is thinking that it's going to get fertilized eggs and it's going to lay, you know, it's going to continue on each generation. And once they've bred, that's it. They're done. They leave. They've laid their eggs. Those Mm -hmm. natural salmon then didn't pass on their genetics and produce more natural salmon because the genetically modified salmon who were either not very fertile or or infertile didn't fertilize eggs. They didn't allow fertile eggs to be produced. And so not only did the genetically modified salmon die out, but the natural salmon also were severely impacted because they thought that they were reproducing and... Mm. you know it just didn't work 
it, it was impacted by these infertile modified salmon. So that is also a risk in terms of animals and uh, particularly animals that you might not necessarily be able to put in a pen. So we've already talked a little bit about the production of new allergens. You know, we don't want allergens to be produced because there's a risk that someone will react badly to it and not be able to eat that food anymore. Um, mm -hmm. This one's a bit more broad, but people's perceptions and improved aesthetics. What kind mm. of impact would that have? I mean, a lot of people perceive genetically modified food as scary and unnatural mm -hmm. and you know as if non-genetic non-genetically modified plants are like as if non non-gmo methods mm. of producing food are natural like yeah or not scary well yeah well, like, we've been messing with nature for thousands of years that's you know in mm -hmm. more more or less sensible ways but Anyway, people perceive it as, as scary and dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure precisely, like if everything was, if we reached a point where like all of our food was genetically modified, mm -hmm. people wouldn't exactly have a choice not to eat it. Right. But um, it is something that sort of the agricultural industry would have to contend with is people's distrust. Mm. Aesthetics, it's hard to say. Oh, although I suppose... There's already this sort of a lot of food doesn't get eaten or get you know gets thrown mm -hmm. away without being sold because yeah. people pick up you look at something you go, oh, it's a little bit bruised and so you don't want it and then you know and a lot a lot of food is thrown away before it even reaches supermarkets because it's a little bit imperfect you yeah. know it doesn't look as nice or it doesn't look like its other brethren <laughs> yeah it just looks different and mm. and that's you know people don't want to buy it. Mm. Which um, I suppose if you're genetically modifying, I don't know, apples to make them more red, then mm. everyone, no one's going to want the, 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 our threshold for what we consider good enough is going to get higher and higher and there's going to be more and more food waste. Yeah. I would say that you, especially for the aesthetic stuff, you've definitely like hit the nail on the head. If we improve food and don't get the idea out of our head that what looks the best is the best mm. then it will definitely become much a, a huge problem because you know natural was it natural carrots are sometimes purple yeah <laughs> so we've bred crossbred carrots to be orange so if we bred something to the point where you know we can't ever go back to purple carrots now because everybody yeah. in their head thinks a carrot is orange so you know improving the aesthetic of something although it's good because improving the aesthetic might mean that there'd be less food waste because mm. if you're modifying something and making it so it more of the things look the same to so say you're modifying bananas to be the same curve. I don't know whether that is actually a thing you could do, but for the sake of it. So then you would have less bananas that were like deformed or different. Yeah. And more bananas that are what we would consider aesthetically pleasing. So it could reduce but it depends. waste. 
Yeah, but it depends what percentage of food in the supermarket is right. this new, improved, beautified banana versus mm-hmm. average bananas, because right. then everyone's just going to get the more perfect looking ones. Exactly. So it would only, the improved aesthetic part would only have the best impact if all of the crops were genetically modified to look the same. Exactly, yeah. And then obviously people's perception, like you say, a lot of people aren't interested in, or like I say aren't interested, are put off by um, genetically modified organisms. That plays a huge impact on whether GMs are accepted or not. And people's perception could be the breaking point between having enriched food and having food that isn't enriched and therefore people aren't getting the right nutrients so Mm -hmm. people's perception obviously we're the people consuming it so our perception of it is really really important and trying to reduce the stigma around gm is you know really important because you don't want to compromise your health and the food that you could have access to because you're worried that the genetically modified food is going to do something to you especially if you've set up society in a way that assumes that everybody is eating Mm. genetically modified food because if you then have a a subset of people who aren't and their diet is markedly different from everybody else's Mm -hmm. you know say you're the way that we talk about nutrition in schools for example right assumes that we all have access to the same foods Mm -hmm. yeah assumes we have the money to buy the same foods and and the you know the the ability to cook those foods you know some people Mm -hmm. just don't know how to cook uh you know anything so yeah it might be that changing the perception could be a good thing but it could also mean that it might not be any impact at all in the States, there are a lot of people who would like to eat heirloom foods, which are basically the original food of something that is now modified to be more nutritious. Okay. So like rice and grains, you can get heirloom rice, which apparently tastes better because it's the original. It's the, the first form before any crossbreeding happened it's the one of the original forms of rice and there's people who make business out of growing heirloom foods and obviously that's a very privileged thing to be able to buy Hmm. rice that is not enriched or altered in any way and is the original it's you know small bags for extortionate prices it's also a bit weird why yeah why would you want to eat something that's not as nutritious for you yeah, like as a as a curiosity, sure. Mm. And if it was like the idea when people talk about ancient grains and all these sorts of ideas, and it's like mm. like you know, I'm curious about the way the food was produced hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And you know, I'm interested to know how food tasted a hundred years ago, those sorts of questions. But as mm. a historical curiosity, <laughs> these sorts not of GMO as, foods have not even yeah. have not been around long enough for you to care about it about it in no. that it's just this fear of anything that's been changed in any way mm. and that's the thing this fixation on what is natural yeah like most things that you eat aren't natural especially meat mm. so yeah 
it's that but that is a thing as well so yeah people's perception definitely plays a huge part on gmos and obviously that has a huge impact on um having access to yeah better quality food you know just because you don't agree with it what about those people that can't can only afford to buy rice and not any other you know carbs or protein mm. or those people need that rice to be as enriching and nutritious as possible yeah so by you being like no no gmo you're you're taking away the chance for people to actually have improved food quality so yeah. Um, and we're back around to it's not just about you you're not doing it for you you're doing it for everybody it's a theme of many of our science <sighs> podcasts <laughs> honestly i just wish people would care about their communities more so mm, same final bullet point before i open it up to you if you have any other bullet points that you would like to add the um final bullet point is reduces the burden on natural resources water soil that kind of stuff hmm. what again impact? i can't see any downside to that like that sounds like a very good thing mm -hmm. yeah so you know not needing to irrigate as aggressively not needing to import soils or that kind of stuff alternatively if it can grow in any soil you might just leave it in the soil and never rotate your crops and that's also not a very sustainable way to farm um as you talked about before there are ways mm. that we did previously that allowed nutrients to be introduced into the soil and allowed uh pests and things to be discouraged from consuming the crops if you can grow your crop in any soil you may as well grow it in the most disgusting soil that you have and leave it there because nothing else will grow there yeah. but that means that that soil's never going to improve. It might mean that populations of animals mm. in that area are severely impacted. So, yeah, it's it's a good thing in general. But yeah, there are sort of smaller impacts that might need to be considered. So, I'm going to turn it back around to you. Do you have any? points that you would also like to add on the GMOs and their impact on the population and the planet? So something that I've heard of that I don't know very much about, I've just heard that it is a thing that can exist or that mm -hmm. could happen, is the potential for a specific way of modifying something mm -hmm. or a specific crop that has been modified to be like patented mm. and Good one, yeah. Or copyrighted in some way, right? Yeah, it would be patented. That, you know, someone can say, yeah, that someone can say, I found a way to make the most nutritious tomato and no one else can grow it because this was my invention. Mm -hmm. And then that would, um, well, first off, it would be an issue purely practically in terms of prices being extortionate because they yeah. can get away with it. But also, there's something weird and potentially unethical about being able to put a patent on, like, a natural thing. Mm -hmm. Like, a, just a type of plant. Like, how do you, or, a, yeah, or an animal or something. Like, yeah. how can you claim something like that as yours? You know, that's, it's something I haven't heard discussed 
like I, I, I've heard it mentioned once or twice, but never a full discussion kind mm. of mainstream. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's a very ethical debate in terms of all things that we use in science to produce mm-hmm. alternate genetically modified things. So obviously, yes, in the case of um, nutritious food, who are you to stop someone from being able to purchase nutritious food? If, if this superfood yeah. is so good, why can't it be accessible to everybody? But, um, and the same thing is with medicines, you know, you patent vaccines, you patent mm. treatments. We're, and that's something else that I just don't understand why that's allowed to happen. pharma is but, obsessed yeah. <laughs> with making money off of the sick, which is baffling. Yeah. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to make money. I'm just saying, why are you making it so difficult for people to live you know, that thing that people want to do, live. Why are you making it so difficult? <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely a bigger ethical debate. But then it's also mm. um, been extended into genetic modifications in terms of things like designer babies. When does the, the ability to remove a certain genetic mutation that would cause severe illness become oh, and I'm also going to tweak this, and I'm also going to tweak this. Yeah. Or when does it become too expensive to say, I would like to have children that don't have this life-threatening illness, but I have to pay Mm -hmm. several million pounds for someone's patented method to help me achieve that. Yeah. So yeah it's 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 completely woven throughout science is is that principle and i think people don't want to face up to the fact that whatever science you do there's going to be some uh patent implications and and you know it's Mm -hmm. the same as i've said before the the sort of the way people protect their research is if someone's going to steal it and it's like nope people just want to know and help and also develop their own ideas and that isn't to say that there aren't people out there who are going to try and steal your ideas and take them as your their own but overall it's like less of an issue and more of a, like a mental thing so especially if you've put your research out there first it like we already know it was yours first because you've put mm. it out there first and yeah with like you know pre-internet sure it would be much easier right. for someone to claim it but you know if I you've think, uploaded this online we know when you did it like we can prove it was you first right and i think the issues as well is ter- in terms of teams of people working on things and often mm-hmm. in history women have been written out of those discoveries because mm-hmm. the lead investigator was a man so yeah. it does, you know, that, that thought of something belongs to you and you have to keep it for yourself and make money from it is very, is very ingrained in the scientific community, I would say. Not everyone. Yeah. You know, we love, we love people supporting people in my, my vein of science, but like, <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It's true for a lot of science that kind of, who chooses what belongs to who and who decides yeah. what belongs to who and that kind of stuff. So overall, genetically modified organisms can help solve a lot of challenges 
you know people need access to food and things and they want to make it as easy as possible especially in commercial <laughs> agriculture especially in non-commercial agriculture and they are becoming more accepted they're becoming necessary we are millions of people are starving because we just can't produce enough food quick enough for all the populations it is something that people are considering more and more you know you can produce more food you can produce better quality food and you can do it all much more quickly seems mm. great seems like a great idea because it will also help the businesses it will help the people consuming the food and everybody in between a lot of times but we can't shy away from the fact that we need to know more about it we need to do more research on it we need to um, change public perception we need to aggregate all the things into one cohesive movement towards gmo we can't we can't like decide oh we're going to produce more gmo because if you haven't changed people's perceptions then it's not going to work or you can't change people's perceptions and then be like actually we've tried to do a bunch of gmo stuff and it doesn't work and then people are demanding <laughs> gmo because like you promised mm. us better food so it is finding that balance and removing misinformation and removing uh, this paper that I've quoted, it removing unethical research because mm. a lot of times people are messing with things that maybe they shouldn't be messing with. So yeah, do you have any closing questions? Or have I talked your ear off enough? <laughs> I think I think you have answered my questions. Mm. It was very uh, comprehensive. This was a very discussion-based episode because it is. I think it is important yes. to to talk about these pros and cons. You know to. Mm. Because we, I don't know, we grew up together, but we still have different opinions on things. So it's always good to, to hear your take on yeah. a concept. So what is the next episode after this one? I think it might be our new series. Oh, yes. Would you like to yes. introduce the series a little bit and talk about why it's a series? So Kim and I decided that we wanted to look at a long poem mm -hmm. by an, a Northern Irish writer called Louis McNeese. This is a poem called Autumn Journal. It is rather long and covers a quite wide variety of topics. So we decided to split it up into four episodes, each covering six cantos or sections of the poem. So we will, we will be beginning with Cantos 1 to 6 next time. Mm -hmm. And do not fear, this will also be interspersed with related science. So, yes. Um, so this series should take us up well, well into December, January maybe? Yes, it will finish in February. <laughs> oh, that's a long time. So yeah, so we're going to have English, we're going to have science, but it's all going to be kind of related to the Autumn Journal and sort of the, the things that are spoken about in Autumn Journal and the themes in Autumn Journal and how some of those themes can also be uh, talked about in a scientific context. So yes. Autumn Journal is great um, and I'll leave a little linky for people who want to read the autumn journal before we record or before we release the episode 
it's not necessary though for this one because we do we kind of pick and choose bits that we want to talk about so it's not necessary yeah. to read it but if you want to it's there and there's some sort of um annotations that Esme's done which are also useful and help you understand also bear in mind there's some inflammatory language in the written version so yes. i will make sure that those words are censored and that there are warnings at the top to uh to make sure you guys don't see anything you don't want to see because we don't want to we don't want to make anyone upset or frustrated or sad so i think that's it for this week Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next time for our brand new series. Cool, bye. Thanks for listening to Sparkling Connections. For references and further information, find the show notes at anchor.fm slash sparklingconnections, or at my website, pleaseholdfor.squarespace.com, where you will also find transcripts and links to find us elsewhere on the internet. If you have any questions or comments, then email us at sparklingconnectionspodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment below the episode.